Black Doctors Podcast highlights the stories of minority professionals with the goal of inspiring others. If you like what you hear, please subscribe and share with others because the next generation can't be what they don't see. Tune in every Monday to hear our stories told by us. Welcome back to the Black Doctors Podcast. I'm so privileged to be talking with Dr. Adedeji Olusanya. He is a first-year resident who is learning to practice physical medication and rehabilitation. He's also known on Instagram as Rehab with Dr. O. So, Dr. Olusanya, welcome to the show. Thank you. Thank you for having me. It's, a, it's an honor and it's a pleasure to be on this podcast. How did I do uh, pronouncing your name? You did great. Uh, it's, uh, I'll give you my full name. First name is Adedeji. Middle name is Uluwamayowa, and the last name is Ulusanya. Um, there's some meaning behind it, um, but uh, I really like my middle name. It's Uluwamayowa, and my parents named me that. You know, they gave me that name because it means God brings joy. Like, so through me, God brings joy. So I was always the one in my family that, you know, told jokes, acted silly. I was the middle child, so I got in trouble a lot. But then another thing, I did, you know, like with my patients and even my friends at work, my work environment, I'm always the one like trying trying to make light of the situation when it's appropriate. You know, like being a doctor is not easy. Um, it's, uh, it can be mentally challenging. It can be very sad at times. So sometimes, you know, when you're trying to work, you want to get through some work and it's very negative. Sometimes I like to do that slight positivity that tries to get the group through the, the out of the woods, you know? Yeah, that's what's up. I had uh, you know, four years at Howard to hone my skills at pronouncing Nigerian names. Oh, awesome. My brother went to Howard. Oh, nice. What year did he... Uh, he graduated, so he graduated, I want to say 2012. He uh, he did electrical engineering. You know, typical... Nice, nice. Typical Nigerians. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. One, one of the fields. Yeah, one of the fields. That's awesome. So you grew up in, in Florida, but and we talked a little bit offline, but why don't you go ahead and, and tell our listeners, tell them about yourself and, and who you are and, and what do you what are you up to? I was born in Baltimore, Maryland. Uh, my dad used to, you know, my dad came from Nigeria, nothing to his name. He actually was in the Amer- the uh, military and uh, we were moving city to city. So at one point we lived in uh, Baltimore, Maryland. I was born there stayed there for like maybe two months and then moved to Boston. And then we lived in Boston for like eight years, you know, and during that time in Boston, my dad, he was a plumber. He painted walls. He did, you know, all these, you know, handyman jobs. And then he like made a covenant with God saying, you know, God, if you give me a job where I'm able to provide for my wife and my three kids, I will make sure they grow up, you know, according to the, you know, Jesus Christ's way. And so we did devotion every night. My dad basically became a pharmacist, owned five of his own stores, uh, we moved down to Florida, basically, which was a blessing to Tampa. And I grew up in Tampa from like age seven, eight to all the way to high school. Then um, I went to UCF, University of Central Florida in Orlando, and I majored in molecular and um, biomedical sciences. While that, um, I made my way to South Florida, where I went to medical school, and I got my degree, doctorate of osteopathic medicine, and I also have my master's of public health. After that, I found my way to San Antonio at the University of Texas San Antonio Health Science Center, where I'm at my first year of residency currently in the field of physical medicine and rehabilitation. So we, we got to go back a little bit. So you said your dad came over here, worked in the military, yeah, you know, made a covenant with God, did some odd jobs, and it ended up with four pharmacies? Yeah. So like my dad truly lived the American dream. 
So, like, as a as an African American um, in America, you know, I see the trials and tribulations we all go through. Being a black man as well, you know, and I saw what my dad went through. So I look at my dad as inspiration, you know. And I tried, you know, even though I didn't go through what he's going through, but I try to rise above. So all my fellow African Americans who are also in the struggle, I try to use my voice and I try to be a motivation to them that they can also rise to, you know, um, through all the struggles that we all go through, being a black man in this world where so many, like so much is against us, you know, like my dad beat the odds. Like he seriously, he, he was painting walls. He was, you know, he was a plumber. He drove caps um, and he buckled down. He went to, got into pharmacy school in Boston, became a pharmacist, you know, was working for CVS and even Eckerd, Eckerd Drugs. And then he basically moved down to Florida, started his own business, his own pharmacy called Doctor's Choice Pharmacy and opened like five of his own stores. And uh, yeah, so it's, it's, it's literally when I see that, you know, and trust me, I've never gone through like, I'm not going to lie, like, I've been through my struggle. I definitely had my own struggle, but I definitely haven't had the worst story in the world. You know what I'm saying? By the end of the day, I try to use that as motivation to get me through my struggles each and every day. So why didn't you go into pharmacy? Oh, I, I'm sorry. I can't do it, man. So my, <laughs> my, my dad, uh, you know, my dad, I love him, but he he put hard work into it. You know, sometimes when parents put it in you, put it in you, and you're like, ah, I'm over it. You're like, I don't want to do it. So even though my dad had his own store, and, you know, we are to the point where we didn't have to, like, work, you know. Like, some parents would, you know, would do. But my dad said, you know, look, my goal is to provide you better than what my father provided me. But I'm still going to teach you what hard work is. So my dad, when we weren't in school, every summer, we would basically be in that pharmacy from 8 to 5, sometimes 6, 5 days a week, you know. And we would be... The child, child labor laws or no? No, no child labor laws, no. None of that, none of that, none of that. No child labor laws. <laughs> but uh, we, would be, <laughs> we, we would be helping in the pharmacy. We would be delivering prescription as well, you know, some prescriptions to the neighborhood as well. So we, we put in that work, and I got to see what my dad did. I got to sit, sit in some of his, you know, business meetings and what it means to run a business. So it's very educational. That's dope. What was your sense of community growing up in, in Florida? Were you around other Black Americans or other African Americans? No, man. And that's not, that was the unfortunate part. I feel like at that point in my life, I felt a little lost. So you have to understand, I grew up in a, before we were like in a rough, you know, neighborhood. There was a lot of Africans, a lot of, you know, a lot of black people. Then we moved to Florida when I was eight, you know, and then we were a bunch of white people, just white people everywhere. Every Sunday I went to a Nigerian church, CAC. So I got to see my Nigerian counterpart every Sunday. That was great. I kept that, you know. But when you go to school, yeah. it's American culture. When you come home, it's Nigerian culture. So it's very different. And then I went to UCF, predominantly white as well. You know, not a lot of African-Americans around UCF at the time. So at the time, you know, I kind of felt lost. Like, who am I? So it was, yeah. kind, of, it was kind of difficult until I ended up going to Nigeria. I want to say 2017, December 2017, January 2018, where it was the first time I went in over 25 years. The last time I was there before then, I was nine months as a baby, but I don't remember anything. And I, I, have, I have family members that didn't see me since I was nine months. But then when I went to Nigeria and I spent only 14 days there, that's when I started to have a sense of, yes, like, this is who I am. Like, you know, hmm. like, um, I want to quote my boy Israel Adesanya, you know, 
he has a tattoo on his chest called Broken Native because he was also born in Nigeria but went to New Zealand, Auckland, New Zealand when he was like eight years old and he grew up there and you know felt like a broken native. So in some ways, I feel like that. You know, I feel like a broken native who's in America but is able to go to Nigeria and feel like like he has a sense. So you know, I can say I'm yeah. more in tone and more in touch with my African culture. I embrace it. You know, I have a loved ones. I have people around me that lets me embrace that culture, but I'm able to pass on to my children and let that culture continue from generations to come, if that makes sense, you know? Yeah, that's beautiful. So so while you're at UCF in Orlando and you were focusing in on getting into medical school, what kind of struggles did you have Ooh. to feel supported? Oh, man. Oh, man. I had a, a lot of struggles. I had a struggle with myself, especially religious-wise, because you know, being a Christian was so pounded in my head, you know, and it got to the point where I was like, oh, maybe if I pray and if I do this, something good would happen. So I would pray every day, God, help me with my MCAT. God, help me get to medical school, medical school, medical school. That was my number one thing. I kid you not. I took that MCAT, right? I studied seven months for the MCAT. Mind you, yeah. before I studied for the MCAT, I'm talking about I would kill it. I get three, average of 3.7, 3.6 GPA, no problem. I would study. I put in that work. You know, you can ask my friends. Did you want to go out to the club? Well, nah, nah, I got to study. Nah, nah, I got I, I, I worked and I played. You know, I, I know how to get time. But when I got to study, I got to study. That's just what it is, you know. But when it came to that MCAT, I thought if I shut off everything. So basically, for seven months straight, study seven days a week in a library, eight to 12, maybe six, uh, no, eight to 16 hours a day, studying for my pre-med classes on top of trying to study for the MCAT. Seven days a week for seven months, I did not exercise. I did not see friends. I did not, I was not in any type of relationships whatsoever. I gained weight. I didn't cut my hair. <laughs> and then I took, <laughs> I, I took the MCAT and I did the worst I've ever done on any type of, oh, of, of any type of exam. Now I'm already, I hate um, standardized testing as it is. But you tell me, man, I, I did horrible. After I got my score back, I felt depressed. I felt depressed. I was like, and that's why, you know, multifactorial due to the fact that I didn't freaking exercise and all I did was eat. I was eating horrible, <laughs> right. you know, for seven months straight. Like, what's going to happen, you know? And I started to like, I started to hate God. I started to like, so now to, like, I did all this. I went to Bible study. I did this. I did that. But that's very, you know, I was 21 at the age. And scientific fact, the frontal cortex is not fully matured until you're at the age of 25. So most people are not fully mature they don't they have they don't have a straight thinking when they're 21 you know but it's not until you get older you start to think straight but then i had a you know there's something i had to change about me where i start to realize like hey you know this is not being a christian is not it's not just something to do it's 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 a, it's a lifestyle it's part of my culture it's just who i am if i don't pray if i don't read the bible stuff, i don't feel like myself so it's just it's just something that was instilled in me you know so i really had a look back and take a step back and realize what was going on with me at that point in time in my life, you know? So I look back at that and I thank God because I had to go through that struggle. I had to go through little trials and tribulations to get where I'm at today, you know? And there's still, even after getting, even the road to med school, right? I still yeah. had to go through some trials and tribulations, you know? Basically, um, going into med school, I didn't get into med school as I applied, you know? I, I didn't really take the MCAT at all. So I had to find another way how to get into med school, you know? And um, 
what happened was I found this master's program at Nova Southeastern. It's a master's program in biomedical science where they gave you a deal like, hey, you take these classes with the medical students your first year, you get an A and B, no C's, you know, or below, you get into medical school automatically the next year. And I did just that. Okay. I got all A's and a B every semester. It was great, right? Come July, when it comes to getting to that med school, I was supposed to have an automatic spot. I got a letter from the admission office saying that I've been deferred. Basically, my spot has been, has been taken. So you have to imagine my life was in shambles. Like I couldn't believe it. My mom was in London. My dad was in Nigeria. Took a flight all the way back. You know, just like whoop. What is going on? What do you mean? I'm not studying medical. Oh no! Are you, are you? My mom's crying. She's like praying, making fasting for me. You know, like it's crazy, and it's it's a bunch of politics. Why I didn't get the spot? It's because like they accepted way too many students, or they're just finding quick ways to get them out. But they told me it's because I didn't have my immunization shots. So, oh my god, where I am with that? Even though I'm not seeing any patients, I'm not in the hospital. Your first year of medical school. So what does it matter, right? But it's okay. That happened, right? So what am I supposed to do? Am I supposed to fold and quit and try to sue the school for whatever bunch of million dollars that might not even pass in the court, you know what I'm saying, and not go to medical school? Or do I bite down the bullet and I keep grinding? I keep going, you know? Do I keep going, you know? And um, I decided that, you know what, it's okay. I'll take the year off, but I will get my master's in public health. That then prompted me to get my master's in public health. So, again, the lesson is things are going to happen to you in life, no matter what. It's going to be bad or it doesn't matter who you are. It doesn't matter if you're born with money, without money. It doesn't matter if you're in the ghetto or if you're in the, in the rich neighborhood. Bad things will happen to you. What, define you. what defines you as a human being is what you do at the time of trials and tribulation. That's what defines you. So... You know, and it's not, I'm not perfect. I'm, say, I'm not saying like that because it, it, it was a struggle. It took a village, you know. Like that same week I got deferred, I got into a car accident. <laughs> my phone broke. Like it was, oh, man. It, it was bad, you know. My, I think my dad thought I was like on some type of suicidal watch, which I wasn't. The, so book, was, the book of uh, Job, wasn't it? Was that uh, Job that lost his kids in the Bible? Uh, yes, yes, yes. When Job, Job, like, you know, he gained everything and like, Basically, the devil was telling God, like, let me take everything from him. Let's see how he would react. And God was like, all right, go ahead. And Job still kept the faith. You know, he did not curse God once. So, and it's like that, you know. And, of course, I'm a human. I'm like, oh, why is this happening to me? But, you know, I try to overcome. I got my master's of public health, and I started medical school in 2016. And not many people know that story. I'm Like, I know, like, people on Instagram. I'm on Instagram. I don't post a lot, but sometimes it's I don't tell my story, but I'm using this platform as maybe this could inspire someone one day, you know, and I can share yeah. my story. So this is the first time I'm ever really saying my story, you know, putting that out there. Jeez. Well, well, thanks for the transparency for sharing. Um, how much of this story led you to start this uh, mentoring minorities in medicine organization? Well, well you know, Honestly, it's not, it has, my struggles, you know, that I think is totally separate of what I want to do with mentoring minorities in medicine, you know. Mentoring minorities in medicine was very inspired by me and my partner, Mr. Andrew Tucker, uh, some known as AJ Tucker, owner of Men's Scrubs. Me and him, you know, it was great when I first met him. I met him 
because he did the same master's program that I did, right? But he was a year before me. So while I was deferred and I was doing my master's of public health, I was tutoring the class that came after me, and he was part of that class. So, you know, you know, another black, it's only a few of us. I see another black person who's just like me. He's, he, his dad and mom are from Africa. He also has two other brothers. He's the eldest. I have two brothers. So we and me and him are cut from the same cloth. You know, I look at AJ as a, like basically an extension of my family. Like he is my brother, you know, and um, to see that, you know, we, we basically went on a medical outreach program together during our first year of medical school. And we were inspired by, you know, um, other black physicians. And they had this nonprofit where they weren't necessarily, you know, doing what we're doing, but we would basically do medical outreaches to Jamaica and go to these, you know, third world countries. And we would give uh, medical care to these people in the village. And it was such a great experience as a first year medical student to go out there and get healthcare. Like our healthcare is so supreme, no matter how you want to look at it, compared to third world countries. And to see the gratitude that they had was amazing. So we wanted to carry that. So we, you know, use that. Not a lot of black people in our field, but I think the number is 5%. And that number continues to go down, you know? And we want to show that it's cool to to be black. It's cool to be young, to wear Jordan, to, to talk like, you know, with the slang and like, what you mean? Like, you know, stop playing. But, it's, but to also be educated, you know, to also know, you know, when is to be serious and then to give, you know, great healthcare to our counterparts. And so the fact that, you know, with increasing racial tension these days, it's important that we're, that black people have a voice, especially in the medical community, because there's a lot of black people who go through a lot of medical conditions who are not treated, who don't feel heard, who don't feel safe. I have been a doctor now for seven months. I've seen many, many, many black patients come through the hospital. You know how many times they will pull me and say, oh my God, thank you. Thank you for representing us right. Thank you for doing this. Keep going. You inspire me. That right there gives me joy. That right there gives me inspiration. So the more black doctors we have, the better. And what, what, what are we doing? You know, we always talk about there's no change. Let's, let's speak about it. Black Lives Matter. Yes, it does. But what are we physically doing? What are we doing to change that, that narrative, you know? So yeah. what I decided to do is I will also always say Black Lives Matter, but I will also put action to my words. And I will say, you know, that basically we need more minorities in medicine. What are we going to do to increase that number? And that's what STEM, the nonprofit organization mentoring minorities in medicine. How long have you guys been uh, been around? We've been on for like six, seven months now. Oh wow! Yeah, and we've already raised over six thousand dollars in our quest. Wow! Course. And so the goal is basically, you know, just to tell you how it goes. It's a it's an annual thing where we raise a certain amount of money and we try to award as many recipients to the scholarship as much as possible. The scholarship aims to reward minorities in basically in college who are wanting to become medical physicians, you know, and maybe they don't have the means to do so. I've had many um, counterparts who study with me at UCF. Luckily, you know, my dad paid for my MCAT court prep course. He paid for my medical school applications, but that's not the story for everybody. And there, yeah. and there are people who are smarter than me, you know, that they need to be in the medical world, but they weren't able to because they didn't have the necessary means to do so. So, what do we that's that's what kind of inspired me as well like what are we what are we going to do about those people 
And that's, that's why we decided to come up with this, you know, especially for those who've taken the MCAT maybe only, you know, once or twice and continue to struggle, you know, what can we do to help them get through that hump and get into medical school? How do you raise your funds? Basically, it's all through donations, but it's also all like partnering with um, major academic programs, you know, such as UCF, the alumni. We we try to go through many um, many medical school intuitions, um, my residency program, um, AJ's residency program. It's just donations from everyone, you know. Soon enough, we're hoping to basically get, you know, willed into a grant and then go from there. Where can uh, folks find out more and donate? So basically, it's www.mimscrubs.com slash mentoring minorities in medicine. Or if you just go on Google and say mentoring minorities in medicine, it will pop up right there. The link is on the webpage, uh, www.mimscrubs.com slash mentoring minorities in medicine. Basically, you go to the page. There's a link to click the, the GoFundMe page and you go there and you donate whatever you can, whatever your heart desires. Nice. And you, and you guys are working towards that first round of scholarships? Yeah. So right now we're in the middle of of, of basically we're about to announce our winners uh, this week, Friday. So, um, yeah. so right now we're in the top three finalists. We're giving them video interviews as we speak. Uh, my other e-board counterparts are running interviews as, as we speak as of now. And then we're going to go from there. So we'll select the winner this Friday. They'll be rewarded. You know, we'll pay for the MCAT registration. We'll pay for medical school applications, um, and then we'll also pay, pay for a MCAT prep course. So they're ready to go. They just got to put in the work, you know. And once they do that, nice. hopefully they can take in, – in my for my dream, it's for them basically to take the MCAT maybe in the summer, get the application going for this coming cycle, and then get right into medical school. But what's going to be key is the mentoring part, you know. We don't only give them money. We give them a mentorship. This is not a mentorship for one month, two months program. No, this is a lifetime mentorship. You know, when we have gotcha. when we have medical physicians that are now attending ten years from now, they say, "I was brought through mentoring minorities in medicine." It's like basically the black doctor YMCA, if I had to say. It. So, <laughs> so that's what I would compare it to. You know, and I that's my dream. You know, and, and I think it's definitely going in the right direction. Yeah, that's incredible. So um, we're recording this back in March, so we'll definitely, you know, be able to check and see who received the initial round of scholarships and when the application season opens again for the next round. Absolutely, absolutely. So, Doctor O, you are preparing to be a, a PM&R doc. Yes, sir. So we we haven't had one of. Uh, anybody from that specialty on the show before, can you talk about what drew you to the field and what are some things you'd like to highlight about the specialty? Okay. So first of all, what is uh, physical medicine and rehabilitation? Well, you know, physical medicine and rehabilitation is basically a, a branch of medicine that aims, you know, or that's involved in many fields. Okay. It basically, we treat conditions that are, are involved with spinal cord injuries, brain injuries, strokes, um, people who suffer from pain or disability due to either a muscle, ligament, or nerve damage, basically. So if I had to put it in simple terms, we are physicians that aim to improve the, uh, your daily functions of life. We're trying to improve the quality of life, which to me, that is the true definition of a medical physician. You know, uh, no, not to you know, crap on anyone else in, that, <laughs> in the position. But, you know, a lot of these doctors, they see them, bye-bye. 
family doctors, they'll see him like once, like every year for wellness check. But you know, or you, you got to diet, you got to diet. But what do we do? We physically we have these patients to improve their function so that their quality of life is better. You know, for example, someone has neck pain. What are we doing to help with that neck pain? Someone broke their uh, their leg. What are we doing to you know basically let them gain their function of their leg back and to improve their quality of life? So that's what we basically do, and I think it's the best field there is, you know, and I'm, I'm so happy I chose it. Um, it's a different story on why I chose it. I, I'm um, a doctor of osteopathic medicine. So for, if you go into osteopathic um, school, or if you go to DO school, basically, they teach you medicine that treats the whole body as a whole um, versus MD, no offense to my allopathic partners, because they're just as equal as a DO. They're all equal, you know, but they don't, there's some things that we learn that they don't learn, you know? And I love it because, you know, being a physical medicine and rehabilitation doctor is basically, you know, what osteopathic medicine school was like. So I get to continue to practice my osteopathic ways while learning a great field of medicine. And when were you first exposed to the field? I was first exposed to the field, actually, like maybe the end of my third year of medical school. And the thing is, like, because I love um, interventions. I love uh, the field of pain medicine. And I love uh, musculoskeletal medicine. Love it. Love, um, love musculoskeletal and spine medicine. And I was like, oh, what's a way I could be an interventional pain doctor? And I thought, oh, maybe anesthesia is only the way, you know. But, I, you know, I wasn't, my brain didn't work like an anesthesiologist. That's just the way I work. I loved anatomy. I love. I was a visual learner, and I love seeing a problem. I love fixing it, and I love seeing a result, which is why I love um, pain um, pain med- medicine. You know, so I was like, what about PMR? So I asked one of my friends, um, Dr. Alan Wynn, He's actually a PMR resident in um, Larkin, down in Miami. I asked him, I was like, yo, what is PMR about? And he told me what PMR is about. I said, oh. That's exactly what I love. Like I was an anatomy tutor. I love neuroanatomy. You know, I love the brain as well. And I'm, I love muscles and nerves and lig- I just love the whole field. So I was like, this is perfect for me. This is what I want, you know, just in case being an interventional pain doctor doesn't work, which it will, but if it doesn't work, <laughs> I, I can go into that general uh, part of PM&R and be a great physician in that field. Nice. Well, what would you say to students that think they may be interested in the field? The word PM&R that people think it stands for plenty of money and relaxation is a false. Don't say that. Like, if, <laughs> being a doctor, you can, like, first of all, if you're, I'll tell you this to everyone right now. I'll say this right now. If your motivation to becoming a medical physician of any field, whether that's orthopedics, family medicine, pediatrics, general surgery, OBGYN, if your prime motivation is for the money, please do not come into the field of medicine. I'm not saying you can't make money. You will always make money, but that's not what that's not what we want as doctors. Because my, my dad always says, do what you love. The money will always come. We want people who are committed into, you know, bringing health and taking care of human beings, taking care of patients. That's what we want, you know? And that's what drew me to PMI. The fact that I'll be able to be involved with helping people each and every day. That's what I love about PMI. 
what I also I love about people are that it's so broad, you know, like you could do everything. You, there's not one thing you can do. You can do many things. And that's what describes my personality. I like to be involved in many different things. I like to have many different kinds of friends. I like to do many different type of things. I love to listen to many different kinds of music. I don't want to be stuck to one thing. So if I want to do any type of pain medication or if I want to do steroid injections, I can do that. Or if I want to do inpatient medicine, I can do that. If I wanted to go into administrative work, I can do that. If I want to do just Botox injection clinics all day, I can do that. There's so many things you can do with Pimanata, which is why I love it. Well, Dr. Lasagna, thank you so much for joining us on the Black Doctors Podcast. Folks, definitely check out the website, uh, Mentoring Minorities in Medicine. Follow Dr. O, uh, Rehab with Dr. O is his Instagram page. Dr. O, thank you so much for joining us. Thank you so much. Thank you for having me. Black Doctors Podcast is a nonprofit volunteer passion project with the goal of inspiring all who listen. Tune in next week for another episode of the Black Doctors Podcast with Dr. Stephen Bradley.